Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdale, producer and host of a brand new show here on Voice of Ashon called Focus On. Let me start by asking a question. Have you ever wondered what great ideas might be hiding just next door or in another culture or country? If so, then this is the show for you. Today, I will be talking with David Zepernick. Now, did I pronounce that correctly? That's correct, yes. Awesome. One of several guests I connected with as a result of my trip through the European Union this June. Hey, David, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. And thank you for uh, having me here as part of your show. Yes, absolutely. I'm thrilled that we were able to make it work. I appreciate your time. Focus On is recorded in the studios of Voice of Vashon broadcast at 11 a.m. on Sundays and 5 p.m. on Fridays here in the Seattle area on 101.9 FM KVSH. Focus On and its sister show, Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, are also available as a podcast at my website, marchtwisdale.com. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. And now we're going to dive into the show. To get us started, David, if you can give our listeners a sense of who you are, what you do, that'd be great. Of course, I would love to. Well, my name is David Sepanik, as mentioned. I am living in Denmark, in Copenhagen. I'm 44 years old. Uh, in my uh, professional life, I work as head of communication in the life science industry. And I am also uh, uh, politically engaged and running for uh, the upcoming local election in Denmark for the uh, Social Liberal Party, which is a um, center-left party in Danish politics. Basically, we talked about a few things before that tend to surprise or be of interest to um, my American audience in particular. And one of those was sort of how the Danish people feel about um, taxes. And I was wondering if you wanted to sort of um, uh, explain a little bit about the perspective of the average Danish person when they think about the role of taxation and taxes in life and society. Yes, I would love to. And of course, uh, not all Danes might agree with everything I say. <laughs> but in general, and compared to uh, to the US, we have we pay a substantial amount of taxes in Denmark. Actually, uh, your average, an average person would pay almost half his income in taxes, which uh, I guess to most Americans sounds like a lot. And it is. Um, and then you might ask, do people willingly pay uh, half their salary in taxes? And the, the, the short answer is actually yes. If you take the political landscape in Denmark from what we locally call the very liberal to the uh, somewhat more socialist parties, they all agree that the tax level should be somewhere between, say, 40, 30, 35, 40 to 50%. That's the range that we're discussing and then we take the entire political landscape from left to right. That's sort of within that range. Um, so, so that's actually uh, we're not. Nobody's suggesting that we should pay like twenty-five percent. Nobody's suggesting that we should pay sixty-five uh, percent. 
everybody sort of tend to agree that somewhere between uh, uh, the late 30s and about half is the, uh, should we say, natural level. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, and then, of course, you say, well, why is that? Well, basically, uh, there's several reasons for that, but basically because we tend to consider taxation uh, a social investment uh, in the group. Um, we have a relatively uh, homogeneous national community, um, so we pay a lot of tax, but since there's a sense of solidarity, um, national solidarity, um, it's, it's basically considered to be okay. And also, most people will also benefit themselves during a lifetime. Um, take myself, for instance. Uh, currently, uh, I'm paying a lot of taxes. But when I was a student, I was receiving... Uh, we have free education. Uh, universities are free. Uh, that's paid for via the, via the taxes. Uh, I not even did it was my uh, education, uh, my uh, six years at university for free. I also got an allowance from the state for five to six years. And now basically what I'm doing is I'm paying back. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, that's how most of us uh, look at taxes, high taxes, but also high expectations as to the benefits uh, that uh, my personal benefits uh, from um, uh, the welfare state, but also uh, other people's benefit because at different times in your life uh, you will even be you would you sometimes you will be a net contributor um, uh, as I am uh, at this time uh, and I will be for my entire working life but when I when I get older um, and when I was younger it was a different matter mm-hmm right and so like you listed out the fact that you went to college and um, that was paid for so let's say you take an average I think the average um, American who were to get an actual master's, not just a bachelor's, because you were in school for six years, and I think se up to seven years is covered in Denmark. So that's usually probably about seventy-five to $100,000 for a person to get their master's. But also, as a parent, you have two children, right? Yeah, three, actually. Three. Okay, got it. Yeah. So as um, a parent, one of the things that I find interesting for people in America, it is absolutely the norm for every parent, unless they are quite comfortable um, and wealthy, to say, oh, I wonder if my kids are going to be able to go to college, even if they have great, even if they have good grades, if they're not special enough to get, you know, a giant scholarship, how will I be able to afford for my child to go to college? And so in a way, there's this daily, constant, normal anxiety that permeates the parent culture as you're always wondering, will they, will they, will they be able to go to college? And then also in Denmark, if your kid falls down at the playground and breaks an arm, you just go to the doctor and they get taken care of and you're not economically anxious about that, correct? That's correct. Um, that's sort of part of the package, you can say, in the mm -hmm. welfare system that we've set up. Uh, mm -hmm. We pay our taxes and we pay high taxes, but in exchange for that, uh, we do get a in, in social security. So um, mm -hmm. going well, that, to the doctor. 
That's actually great. We think of Social Security in America as this thing that happens once you're like 65 and older. But Social Security, you can have lifelong Social Security of various forms and types. That's a neat way to use the term. That's, I mean, that's how we look at it. And I think that is also the reason why we, ex I mean, why we accept to pay such high tax, because we know we don't have to worry uh, whether our children will uh, can go to college if they are uh, uh, inclined to do so. And mm -hmm. if they have the grades that they uh, need to have, of course, mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to worry about, you know, uh, seeing a doctor. If we lose our job, we also have relatively generous social setup so that uh, you will not be in kicked out of your apartment or having absolutely no income uh, right. the very next day. So that's kind of, that's, that's what we get in return. You can say, mm -hmm. and you can of course discuss which system is, is the best. But uh, the thing of course, that's unique about this system is that there's nobody in our system who needs to generate a profit. I mean, you don't have, it's not insurance based insurance companies need to generate a profit as well. Right. Um, so, uh, so, um, it works. And of course, of course it's, it, it doesn't mean that we are not discussing whether, um, we are getting the, the we have the right balance between, uh, um, uh, taxes and, uh, and, and uh, the, the, the level of social security or health insurance mm -hmm. or, or the quality of the uh, educational system. Of course, we discuss that all the time. Right. And I think, Maybe even more than you do, because when you pay so high taxes, you have high expectations. You expect uh, to have sort of state-of-the-art education, state-of-the-art right. healthcare, and so on and so forth. And whenever that, uh, uh, if 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 you don't sense that that uh, you get state-of-the-art, then of course you complain and say, "Well, <laughs> how can that be when we pay so much?" So it's it's an ongoing discussion, but there's a general sense uh, uh, that we. We um, we get what we pay for, and right? We are willing to pay um, quite a lot. Right, right, right. We get what we pay for. You know, when when you about a week ago we were having our pre chat and you mentioned that idea of high taxes and high expectations, it really um, hit me that people in America, my sense as an American and, and as what other people are thinking is it our expectations of what we expect to get back from having paid our taxes is actually very low. I think there's almost maybe this subtle understanding in the back of our minds that's saying we're not getting a lot of things back, but we really worked our butts off as hard as we could to pay as little as possible. So we paid very little or we tried to pay very little and now we get little back. And there may, and I've never heard that spoken out loud, but I thought, what if that's actually going on in the subconscious of the country, which would explain part of why people do not get more outraged and do not seem to feel like they truly um, deserve college and medical care and all of these things. We talk about it like it's a human right, like it's this natural thing that on planet Earth we all deserve, but ultimately you do have to pay for these things. So we have to grapple with, are we ready to step up and start paying these bills on a community level so that everyone receives these services, or do we want to continue to be sort of, you know, penny-wise but pound-foolish? And, um, yeah. Yes. And I think, I mean, for, for, 
my, from my perspective, I mean, the Danish society basically invested in me, gave me a free education, took care of uh, whatever healthcare issue I've had as a child, nothing serious, but, but, but it was there. And now I'm just paying back. Mm-hmm. And so, you so, have three kids who are going to go forward and be able to go to college, and that's not on your dime. Meaning, nope. directly as an individual, you're not like sweating it. Oh gosh, why'd we have that third one? You know, now we got to pay for three college degrees. You know, you don't even have to think that because it's just a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Yes, they can go to college. Uh, it will not cost me a dime. Of, well, of course it will because I I might support them in one way or another. But I mean, they will go there, and uh, it has nothing to do with my private economy. Uh, I mean. Even if I go bankrupt tomorrow, they can still get a college degree if they want to. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for sort of um, uh, playing around with and exploring that side because, of course, that's the number one question that is shoved into our brains in the United States of America by easily about 40 or 50 years of purposeful media messaging, um, which is – socialism or any type of a social program is bad, terrible, and if you're paying taxes, it's just awful. Nanny state, there's all these awful words that fly around in people's heads, and um, that's why I started this show, so we could start to hear from people who are actually living there, living that way, rather than talking heads um, on this side of the Atlantic, which sort of carries us over to the next topic that um, you brought up last week in our conversation, which was about the problems that are being caused by media bias. Um, you want to um, explain a little bit about what specifically you're concerned about? Yes, and, and, and uh, my point of departure was actually that I am very engaged in what we hear in Denmark called integration. That's the integration of immigrants, mm-hmm. refugees, and so on and so forth. And we have a very heated debate about uh, this. And I know, uh, although I'm not familiar with the specific details of the U.S. Dis- debate, I mean, we follow U.S. politics in Denmark as well. Uh, the uh, the wall that uh, Trump has promised to build uh, and so on and, and, and make the Mexicans pay for and so on and so forth. We have a very heated debate about some of the, some of the uh, although the circumstances are very, very different, some of the same issues. And my point is just that, you, you you cannot use the media to understand the world. And that's actually um, a point that the, a Swedish professor, Hans Rosling, who died earlier this year, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, he made several times. Uh, he's, like, he, he's probably the most unlikely of all YouTube stars, uh, but actually <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of the most interesting. Um, and I definitely think that watching his interviews is time well spent. But his point is, that when if you only get your impression uh, of how the world works from the media, you will get biased information because the news criteria that the media uses uh, has an inbuilt bias because Mm -hmm. one of the key criteria is um, conflict. So any reporter, uh, or at least most uh, reporters, will go for a conflict. So mm-hmm. uh, that means that, for instance, uh, gradual positive change will not be accurately covered by the media because it doesn't really meet the news criteria, whereas 
conflict, something that's happening here and now. Although it might not, it might be a very, very small part of the true story, it will be the part that will be uh, highlighted. It will be the part you will read about in the media or watch in the news. Um, and, and then you simply get a, a, a wrong idea about how big a problem actually is. And, 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 right. and, and that's exactly getting back to my point about integration. That's what we see in, in Denmark in, in, in our discussion. I, of course, uh, as mentioned, I, I'm not familiar with the specific uh, debate going on in the U.S., but I, am, I could imagine, uh, then you must correct me if I'm wrong, that you have the same issue uh, um, over there. Um, well, de- well, definitely, of course, and basically probably really, really pretty much around the world, given that it's, you know, for a period of time, it was the consolidation of the media with an individual country. And then you start noticing it's actually really global consolidation of media. So, but what I find, I mean, you guys in Denmark, of course, actually, in a way are dealing with this um, in, a, in a unique and in a more powerful moment of history with what's going on with the um, refugees from everywhere from Syria, North Africa, the Middle East, Eastern Europe. And there is, I recently was uh, interviewing someone who explained to me that one out of every five human beings on planet Earth right now is in transit. Yeah. So we have... 20% of humanity, whether they are fleeing war or they are migrant workers that move with the seasons or for whatever reason, um, we have a huge number of people on the move. And with what's happening with the environment, you have the equatorial regions of the planet are, you know, whether they're, whether it's desertification, um, whatever the causes Uh, Of course, a lot of that is along the Middle East, and so then you've got just oil wars. So there's a lot of people who are fleeing, you know, north and south um, away from the equatorial region. So um, what I liked about the article that um, when I found out about you was that article, of course, it was written in um, Denmark. What I liked about the point was that this is an issue that is not going to go away this century. Human migration and movement is going to be front and center problem in search of a solution for at least the next hundred years. And um, room for improvement on how we think about this, not not decisions, views, blah, I mean, literally how we think and conceptualize the idea of human movement on earth. We have massive room for improvement. And so... Your point, I think, is so brilliant because, yes, there are authentic reasons for the people in Denmark to have an emotional reaction to um, migration and immigration and these things because these affect life. What we don't necessarily need is the media um, lighting matches everywhere and trying to trigger our existing emotions to go in a in a certain direction of fear or anger or distrust, we're really going to have to be very logical and very honest and very intentional. Exactly, and I think that's a, a huge problem. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I don't have the solution, uh, but I think, I mean, part of the solution is that we have to be very, very aware what is going on here. Uh, and, and I think, I mean, you said lightning matches and and we also have 
political forces, some of my political opponents, uh, who are doing exactly that, at least in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to say that there are no problems that and, and everything is, is, is wonderful. No, there are real problems, uh, things that need to be addressed. Uh, but but um, in our case, in Denmark, um, we have, even though some of these foreigners have higher crime rates than uh, the average day, part of the explanation, or a substantial part of the explanation, is that uh, in Denmark we have extremely low uh, crime rates, mm-hmm. and even 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 those foreigners that we are talking about here, they also have extremely low uh, crime rates in Denmark. But it's bigger; it's it's higher than the average Danish. Uh, and then and then if if you only focus on that, of course you will uh, you will um, you will tend to think that all foreigners are potential criminals, even though ninety eight percent are law-abiding citizens, you know, going mm-hmm. about their daily work, trying to, you know, make a living. Um, so, so, so you get a twisted image about how the, how the, how the situation actually is. Yeah. And, and, and I think- yeah. There was that interesting article and I won't go into the details, but it was um, like on the front of it, it was like um, such and such a, <clears throat> sorry. It, well, on the front of it, it said such and such a statistic has doubled. And I thought, wow, it's doubled. That must be huge. And then I read further, and it had, quote, doubled from like 1% to 2% of an entire population. I thought, that's still incredibly small. But the way the title had made it sound like it was this huge change. And then I'm like, wait, well, yeah, it doubled, but you're still talking. You know, so, so yeah, I mean. And we, we have that challenge here in Denmark. Uh and I think some of the explanation for that is that um, we are still a relatively monocultural society. Mm-hmm. I actually have I have African ancestors. My grandfather is from West Africa. But generally speaking, Denmark is a relatively monocultural society. And I think we have to accept here in Denmark that although it is the newcomer who must adapt to our culture and change the most, we also have to change a little bit ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, at least to some people, um, uh, a challenge, to put it mildly. Um, and we have this, we have this uh, duality in our national identity. Uh, historically speaking, we are partly an outward-looking, open-minded, you know, merchant and sailors culture. Right. And then part, part of our national identity is the more inward-looking farmer culture, emphasizing ownership of the land and belonging to the community and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the view on insiders and outsiders uh, simply differs between, depending on which part of the national identity you tend to sort of uh, identify with. Um, the merchant and sailors culture is more diverse and, and, and adopt foreigners more easily, whereas the what I now refer to as the farmer culture is more difficult to penetrate as an outsider. And that's something that we have to work with in um, in Denmark. You know, it's interesting because when I really think every single American child should be offered the opportunity to spend at least a semester abroad during their junior year of high school because and paid for by the state, <laughs> by the government. Because when you get out of the country, you don't just get to see other places in the world but you actually start to see your own country in a new 
um, a broader and different light. You you see things. It's like you can see the forest for the trees now. Yes, that's um, and 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 I think that's also why it is so extremely important that we get the right get it right the first time. And mm-hmm. it's not just because I am a, a, a dark skinned or brown skinned myself, and of, and consequently have a very personal interest in the matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's actually crucial for society as such. Um, because will we be uh, an uh, outward looking, uh, are we embracing the world, uh, not naively and, uh, but, but, or are we sort of, uh, just, you know, looking inward and, you know, looking back and trying to, um, yeah, live a past that is long gone and that was not uh, as glorious as some people might think. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's a struggle for what I would say, uh, hearts and souls, and a struggle for uh, for the uh, for our national identity. I mean, or, or, or should I say, the, uh, how to interpret our national heritage? Which part of it is to is is our future to be based on the the inward looking part or the more outward looking part? And I think that's well to a substantial extent define how a country like Denmark will cope in the modern global world. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a moment to do a station identification and just sort of let that thought perkle in people's minds for a second. So, um, hey, everyone, if you're just joining us, this is March Twisdale, producer and host of Focus On!, And today I'm having a great time talking with David Zepernick from Denmark. Before we return to the interview, I'd like to give a shout out to our community credit union, OCCU. KVSH programming support is provided by our community credit union, personal, professional, and full-service, member-focused, and community-based, conveniently located across from Thriftway at OURCU.com. Also, KVSH program support comes from Snapdragon Bakery and Cafe, pastries in the morning, vegetarian lunches, wine, and music at night fill the friendly casual atmosphere that is Snapdragon on Vashon Highway at the south end of Vashon Town. Oh, that they wrote that weird. Sorry, hold on. There we go. I'm going to say that one again. Also, KVSH program support comes from Snapdragon Bakery and Cafe. Pastries in the morning, vegetarian lunches, wine and music at night fill the friendly casual atmosphere that is Snapdragon on Vashon Highway at the south end of Vashon Town. So, let's see. Yeah, that was... I think you're absolutely right. The whole world is on a cusp in a bunch of ways and... I like how you um, are lifting up the question of how are we going to intentionally integrate with our fellow humans who happen to be new to the country and how does this, you know, um, what's, well, you said it perfectly, but essentially it's almost going to define um, who the Danes are moving forward in a way. It, it, it will, I think. And it's actually also, I mean, of course, there are different perspectives. Uh, but from our perspective, successful integration 
is also actually a demographic necessity. Uh, the fertility rate in Denmark is simply too low to sustain uh, the welfare state that we discussed earlier. Um, so the whole system uh, is not financially sustainable unless we provide extra hands. And of course, that can be, can be, can be done in various ways. We could have more children, a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but, but um, we also need to make sure that uh, integration, uh, that we succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think we need to have, I mean, the mindset is crucial and, and we need to have the, I know, I know, and now I risk to sound like some sort of, you know, Obama wannabe. I mean, we need to have the yes, we can uh, hat on. Uh, otherwise, we will not succeed. If everybody says, uh, we know we will never succeed and, you know, light matches and only focus on the negative issues, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's uh, perhaps the biggest risk. Well, and ultimately, you know, there's this... Um... I, w- I was going to say that's sort of the Bernie Sanders um, hat of together there is nothing we cannot do, you know. Yes. So um, the 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 shift to seeing ourselves as members of a planet, as you know, Earthlings, as people who live together, who are all human, compared to this really ancient um, view of you know national or tribal or religious or whatever segregation method you want to use. Ultimately, what goes unsaid is, yeah, and I'm okay if you die. I mean, that's the underlying message: is if we close our borders, if we say no, you can't come here, and we know that where you are is killing you, then we're saying to human beings. Yeah, you know, just just turn the boat around, go back with your babies, and your you and your kids are probably going to die, and and I'm okay with that, and that that's not what people are okay with. So what we're looking for is that third option. You know, we're not okay with doing nothing and just having a bunch of people show up and have it be a big accidental mess, and we're not okay saying we have no humanity or compassion, so just go back and die because you're a problem. So the third option is the one that we're all looking for. But I think if, if 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 we look at the numbers and say, I mean, for instance, uh, people in transit, we discussed that earlier. I think it's about 80 or 85 percent of refugees. They are actually physically located in, for instance, refugee camps either inside their own country or in neighboring countries. So mm-hmm. only a fraction, 10, 15 percent, maybe it's, it's even less, are actually... Um, coming to Europe or uh, the US. Mm-hmm. So, so also just to get that in perspective, uh, the majority of the burden involved is actually uh, is actually the neighboring countries uh, or uh, that are handling that. So, what we right. have to do, we have to sort of handle the last ten to fifteen percent, and then, of course, we have, uh, and that's that's at least my perspective. We have to look at individuals and. And, and, and look at their motives. Most of these people, they have the same dreams that uh, you have and that I have. Yeah. We want to have a, a, a job, take care of our families, to see our children grow up healthy. It's the same dream, despite cultural differences. It's basically the same dream. I was 80% of the dream is, is, is the same. It's the same core. Yeah, it's the same thing with um, 
people who come across the border illegally into the United States of America. You talk about putting numbers out there, right? Because you want to, a lot of times these numbers are not talked about in the media. And unless you've gone and found them yourself, you're not going to know. Um, so I really appreciated that last week when you mentioned uh, and reminded me of how many people really are stuck in refugee camps and how many years and years and years people can end up living and their children are growing up in refugee camps because they can't go back, they can't go forward. You know, it's a huge mess and they're in the middle of it. Well, um, another number that I like to throw out there is people will say in the United States they've been trained and prepped to say, well, gosh, golly, my parents came here as immigrants, but they came here legally. And those people in Central and South America, they should come here legally too. My dad did it. Why don't they do it? Okay. So the average amount of time that it takes for a person who lives in Mexico to get legal permission to come into the United States is 18 years, not months, years. You know, that's 18 years on average is not very realistic. So, of course, people just come across the border. Of course, of course. And we have a similar situation in Europe. And I think, yeah, obviously you cannot uh, give everybody who knocks on the door uh, a residence permit. I understand that perfectly well. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you can do, the least thing you can do, is to make sure that people will get a swift answer, even if it's a no, and so that they don't waste years uh, in uh, various camps. I've met people here in Denmark who are now well integrated. Uh, they were from um, Albania. They spent six years in a Danish refugee camp. Then they were given uh, asylum. So now they're, they're I don't know, if, I don't think they're Danish citizens, but they are allowed to stay here. But they have to spend six years in a, in, in a camp before they were allowed to, you know, come out in the Danish society and become productive uh, citizen and, and contribute, which of course was, was what they wanted to. Wow. Get it. That's horrible. That's a waste of human potential. We have to make it work. I mean, there's, there's, there's no other option for several reasons, for demographic reasons, but also because the alternative, I mean, if we, if we can't make it work, is that you will have a... Uh, a very easily identified group of people in Denmark with relatively dark skin. It would be a a society where you would have I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't I won't use the word apartheid, but it will be something down that road. You're basically uh, at risk of creating, through lack of intentionality, by accident, a a specific separate class of people. Yes. And, and, and a class that is easily identified because right. they would have brown brown skin like like myself. Yeah. And I don't think I, I, <laughs> I don't think that's. Uh, and the clothing's different too. And the clothing are different, uh, and and right. I don't think that's the, the I don't think we should go down that road. Right now, you had some ideas. I mean, it's, 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 of course, it's so important to actually be able to see, recognize, and speak out about the, um, the things that need to be addressed. But also, what's really scary oftentimes is to bring forward an idea, because that's when people can heckle you or, or shoot you down. And yet, you do have some specific ideas about 
ways in which Denmark can more effectively um, integrate these new members of its society. Yes, definitely, and 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 some of uh, of the ideas that uh, I've put forward have been tested successfully in uh, in, in, in in individual municipalities, uh, specific mentoring programs, programs where you uh, make sure that uh, young refugees they get a part-time job, say in a Danish supermarket, or I mean that they're introduced to to uh, Danish work culture and culture in general. Um, and learn the social skills needed because there's in every society, in every culture, there are things that you cannot, uh, that knowledge that you need to have that you cannot find in books. I mean, you, it, it has to be uh, human to human, human to human on the job training. Right. And um, and instead of uh, having people sitting in asylum centers doing nothing, um, wasting their human potential, I mean, they should be out. They should contribute. And they should get the, uh, the, uh, the work and learning experience from day one. Well, especially the young people, if you think um, the teenagers, their minds and their worldviews are much more flexible. And if they're received with open arms and then they start to make friends with people who um, are already well-versed in the cultural ideas, expectations, beliefs, and uh, I don't mean beliefs for like religion at all, but I just mean that all that culture is. And then those children will not only grow up into young adults and adults who really better understand it, but they also can help to infuse because they'll speak the same language as mom and dad who might find it harder to integrate or learn the new language. And they can then go ahead and bring, you know, the beauty of Danish society into their family. But if you lock up your young people, they will recognize it as unfair, as completely not their fault, not deserved, and they will be angry, hurt, and have no reason to um, ally with the Danish culture, and that's really not where you want to go. No, the, the, then, then of course there will be conflicts uh, if, if, if you allow that to happen. And what I suggest is that we should instead make sure that we create as many positive case stories as possible. And that's also getting back to my point about the media buyers. You need to have at least 10 positive stories for each negative story. Mm. Because the yes. media will, will touch upon the negative stories. And if you want to counter that, I mean, it, it's, it's just to have one good story for, for each negative story. It's not good enough. Then you will lose the battle. Mm-hmm. You need to have, I know I just mentioned the figure 10. It's just, you know, a figure. Um, no, you're completely have- right. Because first of all, more good stories do exist than bad stories. That's the authentic reality. But then media comes in and says, oh, we're going to catch more attention over here with this negative story. So that natural inborn desire to, you know, sell papers or catch attention or grab the the emotions of your listeners, that causes you to overfocus, which means you're now literally presenting sort of a false view of the whole. And then if they don't have an obligation to balance it out at all, I mean, yeah, I think that's, that is, that would be such a great thing for the 
listeners in the audience to start demanding of their media. I want the good stories. I don't want to hear about the car accident. There were probably 30 of them. I want to hear about who in a neighborhood did something amazing that made life better for 100 people around them. And I think if, if we can work that out, if we can, if we can just make the media, influence the media just a little bit. To, How about to, a lot? To, uh, yeah, I, I would love that, but uh, I'm not that optimistic. But, but I, would, I would even go for a modest change. I think that would make a small change uh, with the media would make a big change for society. And, um, and um, a, another example, I mean, some of the uh, newcomers that we receive in Denmark, some of them, uh, maybe 10% are relatively well educated. Well, mm -hmm. they have resources, they have competences. Uh, let's let's get those competencies mapped from day one and figure out if they are to use those competencies in 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 Denmark. Mm -hmm. um, what do they need, and how do we? I mean, how can we make it fit? Um, right. Instead of treating everybody in the same way, here here we have people who have uh, demo. I mean, could be doctors, nurses, whatever. Uh, and of course, you cannot be a trained nurse in uh, in Syria and then. Uh, walk through the door and work as a trained nurse in Copenhagen the next day. You can't do that. But right, of course you, you have can't. Some, yeah. you, have some, you have something to build on. Mm -hmm. And let, let's, let's use that practically and not, you know, just, you know, have people sitting there who, who can contrib contribute and wants to contribute mm -hmm. um, and actually have skills that we need and right. then uh, just waste their time and our money uh, in, 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 in sort of camp and then of course those stories again should be told Each right stories should be told there's uh, um a really cool story that just came across facebook a few days ago for me and it's um and it's it's sort of like that and i can't exactly place um which country exactly but you know i think it's here actually so you know, young man comes in illegally, um, you know, works in the fields, does this, that, goes home, comes back. You know, now one of the best, you know, brain surgeons in the country, you know, because managed to go ahead and integrate and, and was able to take advantage of, of um, getting education and, and now is this incredible contributor back to society and saves lives every day. So um, you guys have what's called a positives list in Denmark, which is a list of um, all the skills or job capabilities that if a person has that skill and they have a company in Denmark that wants to hire them to do that job, then you don't have to go through the extra hoops of getting permission. The company can hire you without having to sort of talk the government into agreeing that it's okay yeah, because yeah. Denmark doesn't have enough people to fulfill all of the um all of the jobs that are out there that you guys want filled. My husband, I know this because I'm looking into getting into Denmark with my family for a few years so my kids have a chance to experience what is actually smells like, feels like, tastes like the the true, honest ambiance of living in a successful socialist democracy so that they can understand it's possible and they can come back to America and say, oh, yes, we can actually live much better. You know, we've done it. We know it's possible. And um, so my husband happens to be on the positives list. It would make sense to me that every single person who is moving through the immigrant process um, with Denmark would just automatically be vetted to see if they happen to be on the positives list. And if so, why not 
quickly shunt those people towards the extra, you know, year of education they need to, you know, to deal with the national differences in their field and, and put them to work. They'll learn the language faster and um, it will help the country. And it, it has been done locally uh, um, to some extent. And it's, it, it's, it's definitely something that we should pursue further. But there is a political discussion. There are uh, my political opponents who would argue, uh, no, these people shouldn't be here regardless of their skills and what uh, um, they are only here temporarily. And uh, as soon as whatever the conflict in Syria is over, um, we will send them back. So there's no need f to invest in them, uh, no need to make them accustomed to... Uh, Danish culture and habits, uh, they just have to, you know, sit it out and wait until the war is over and then we'll send them back. That's, and that's one approach. And unfortunately, uh, the party that's most in favor of that approach is a, uh, supporting the current government in Denmark and, and has a very uh, decisive influence. Uh, whereas my party is uh, currently in opposition. We have a different view. Uh, we think that uh, the human potential of Every person who comes here should be evaluated and then uh, we should figure out how do we get the most out of it uh, as a society, but also for the, for the individual in question. I mean, even if you're a refugee from, say, Syria and you might plan to go back when the war is over, um, it's a lot better, we think, that uh, we find out how you can be a part of our uh, society in Denmark while you're here, how you can contribute. Um, and then when you eventually go back to Syria, five, ten years from now, whenever, uh, you're better suited to, uh, if you're a doctor, for instance, I mean, you're better suited to, uh, to, to, to be a doctor back in Syria than if you had wasted 10 years here sitting right. in the camp, staring into the wall. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's no good for, yeah. for anybody. That's really fascinating that that is being put forward, that, 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 that human, um, uh, it's not at all like an internment camp. I'm not trying to suggest that, but it's more like just, um, um, that storing humans in a, in a, in a, in stasis, in a, in a non, you know, contributing fashion would, would even be proposed given that, for example, in the U.S., the argument is often made that, it is far less expensive for society to cover the educational costs of a young person and to provide them even with a um, basic income while they are going to school so that they can actually, there's no point in saying, sure, you can go to school, but you also have to pay for your own rent and your own this and your own that to someone who's living in an inner city, you know, um, and has nothing. So that is far less expensive than it is to pay for that same person who in a state of despair, desperation ends up in prison. So, you know, putting people on the dole, so to speak, and being like, you can't contribute, but we're going to take care of you for a period of time and then kick you out. That sounds like the more expensive option. It, 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 it's, I guess it is, but it's, it's, at least in Danish politics, it's uh, also a matter of principle. And if you are convinced that these people should not be here, not be allowed to be here, uh, we should have, have as few as possible, and they should be sent back as fast as possible, 
then uh, I guess it it, it, it may, then then you're also willing to pay the bill and say okay we'll just you know uh, pay for these people to sit and wait until whatever war is uh, is over and we can send them back. Whereas we have a different approach and say well uh, first of all we should not send people back refugees back worse off than they were when they came. Uh, on the contrary, we should invest in them, and then while they are here, uh, they can make a positive contribution to our society. Um, and then nobody knows how the future uh, looks like when whatever war is over, then they can go back, and then they have hopefully have qualifications that are still uh, updated uh, that they can use um, in their home country. You know, that's when we talk about refugees. Right, right, right. I'll bet almost everyone in the millennial generation and probably people who are close to, you know, our age and below, I bet they all understand that there's just going to be another war and then another war. And then, I mean, you know, we, we, we have no idea how soon um, certain forces on the planet are going to decide to go after Iran, you know, so you, you, this idea of, Oh, this was a, a one-time thing. And, you know, the entire region of Northern Africa, the Middle East and Eastern um, Europe, oh, there'll never be another war. So we just have to deal with this and send these folks back and then there won't be another flood of immigrants. You know, the reality is that there will always be sort of another war. So if we can, if we, if, if we always work with people and make life the best it can be right now in the day in the moment rather than assuming something about the future that we can't assume necessarily because maybe there won't be a war probably will be then then i would say like you say we don't know what's going to come but at least five years from now whatever does come at least the five years between now and then was the best it could be for all the people who were involved it seems to me that the idea of accepting less than what we could do or or pushing people down and just expecting them to just endure that's just a missed opportunity it seems and i think as a as a global citizen it's also my view that i mean if you take denmark uh we are one of the richest countries in europe um According to a recent ranking, I think we've been surpassed by Norway. We're also the happiest people in the world. Mm -hmm. If we, if we shouldn't help some of these unfortunate people, then who should? Yeah. If the wealthiest and happiest people uh, will not help, who will? Who will? Right. That's an excellent question. Wow. Yeah. The buck stops here is that idea we use about like the person at the top of a decision-making chain. But in a way, yeah, if you're the best off and happiest folks, in a way it's like, well, gosh golly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't get a chance to dive into um, green energy <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> I have no idea how long time it will take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, right now we're we're pretty much at the end. Can you believe that? No, but I think we uh, we had a very good discussion. Discussion. We came around a lot of what I consider 
extremely important issues. Uh, yeah. And the links between, say, integration, uh, media buyers, uh, I think that's... Um, Pretty strongly made. And that's important because people, if they continue to believe the media, then it's going to be very hard to educate them because it's like um, if someone said, here's a joke book and here's a real book and, and the real book is going to give you the information, the joke book is going to give you, you know, silly ideas that capture your attention, but they're not accurate. And if your students all say, yeah, but I like the joke book because it, you know, it, it grabs my attention. So I'm going to read that and then believe that that's the way the world is, well, then you're in a really tough spot. we got to get people that's looking. That's the real danger. If, if you get so lazy that uh, you don't want to find your own facts and just, you know, take anything you hear or read or see in the media for, uh, uh, for granted, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, then the, you have a problem. A serious problem. Yeah, and you might not even know about it. <laughs> right, right. I know, I know, I know. And and so, alrighty. Well, gosh, um, thank you so much, David. I would like to give you a chance to just share, um, essentially, how people who are in Denmark, um, you know, who are in your what's it called, your district? Excuse me. You're are you in a district? You're you're running for a political office in a district, a region. You know what? What's that? Yes, in, in, in the municipality of Fredericksburg, which is actually an enclave within the capital of Copenhagen. Right, right. Is there, um, is there something specifically that you would like to be able to share with your fellow constituents, or um, is there a way that they can reach you, ask questions, connect with you? Maybe there's people who are doing great work with immigrants, and they want to get the stories out, and they want to call you up and share the good news. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell folks how they can get a hold of you? Yes, of course, you're more than welcome to reach out to me, uh, David Sebenik. Uh I have a Facebook page um, called uh, Fredericks, uh, Fredericksburg Radical. Uh, I also have a web page, www.fredericksburgradical.dk. And uh, I'm more than happy to learn about people having problems with integration in uh, Fredericksburg. Uh, if I can help, I would love to do so. Uh, as mentioned in this program, I think it's absolutely crucial that we embrace the world and make sure that we that uh, we use the human capital that's available uh, in the optimal way. And why don't you go ahead and say that in Danish too, because especially some of your older constituents um, may not be super fluent in English right now. We now know David Sebenik. Jeg er byrådskandidat for det radikale næste på Frederiksberg. Du kan læse mere om mig og mine mærkesager på www.frederiksbergradikal.dk Tak. Thank you very much for tuning in. You've been listening to my interview with David Zepernick, one of several guests I connected with when I went to the European Union this June. I hope that Focus On will allow you to contemplate new ideas and ask more creative questions. Many thanks go to Windermere Vashon, for it is their generosity that has given me the opportunity to create this show. My name is March Twisdale, and you've been listening to my interview with David Zepernick here on Focus On, where my guests share how they hope to see the world change for the better, one shared idea at a time.